you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and then also uh, put your finger in 1 Corinthians 15. Like Pastor Allen was mentioning, in a moment we'll stand and read from each of those chapters. We're actually continuing a series out of the Gospel of Mark. You say, wait a minute, you just asked me to turn to Romans 6 and 1 Corinthians 15, and that is true. But what we set the stage for, or at least I hope I set the stage for last week, is the reality that this message today fits in the theme of Christ's authority over chaos. Christ's authority over chaos. Last week, we were in Mark chapter 4, around verse 35 through the end of the chapter. And that, as you may recall, is the message of Christ's authority over the wind and the waves, over the chaos of nature. And then looking ahead to next week, we'll be in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, where we will consider Christ's authority over demons, over the supernatural realm, as he will heal the Gadarean demoniac with the legion of demons. And then, at the end of Mark chapter 5, we will consider Christ's authority over death in raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. And it is in that grander theme in the Gospel of Mark and Christ's authority over chaos that I felt it would be entirely appropriate for us to put in a little detour, if you will, to Romans and 1 Corinthians while we consider that same theme of Christ's authority And this is over death itself, in himself. Not just the raising of someone else, not the revivification, if you will, of Jairus' daughter, but of Christ's authority over death. Last week, when I ended the message in Mark, I ended with verse 41 of Mark 4, which says, They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is? is this. Who is this Jesus? And if you'll recall, to answer that question, we looked at Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. John writes, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He has made us a kingdom. He has dominion, that is authority, forever and ever. To him be the glory. This is the Jesus we worship. And it's why we gather today on Easter Sunday to celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead, because he has dominion, authority in himself over death. It's why the choir can sing Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Because as we will see today as we study these texts, Christ's resurrection and Christ's dominion and authority over death is our hope of resurrection. It is our hope for our bodies and for eternal life. So it's with this in mind, this authority of Christ, 
over death. But I invite you to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word from Romans chapter 6. We'll read verse 9. This morning I'm reading out of the ESV. And then we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 15. So please remain standing for both passages. First of all, Romans chapter 6, verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign, until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. If you want to turn back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 9, we will consider that verse first. As we think of what Paul writes in saying, First of all, we know. We know. Christianity is not, as Pastor Allen put it, a, a hopeful, wishful thinking. It is based on reality and on fact. So before we get into the rest of the message, this is not an apologetic message. There is a time and a place for someone to give you all the reasons, all the facts surrounding the resurrection. But I just want to re-emphasize for us today as believers that our hope is not built on something outside of historical fact. No, indeed, we know that Christ has been raised from the dead. One professor put it like this, if ever a fact of ancient history may be counted as indisputable, it should be the empty tomb. From Easter Sunday on, there must have been a tomb, clearly known as the tomb of Jesus, that did not contain his body. This must be beyond dispute, because Christian teaching from the very beginning promoted a living, resurrected Savior. The Jewish authorities, they strongly opposed this kind of teaching. They were prepared to go to any lengths to suppress it, and their job would have been so easy if they could have sauntered down to a tomb and pointed to Christ's body. That would have been the end of the Christian message. But the fact that a church centering around the risen Christ could come about, it demonstrates 
that there was an empty tomb. Not only so, but we know that Christ appeared as Brother Allen read for us this morning. First to the women, which would have been discredited testimony. No one would have made that up in first century life to have put it on the words of women first. Sorry, ladies, they did not have the standing in society that you have today. No one would have thought to have put the resurrection account on the, on the words of women first. But then Jesus appeared to the disciples, to the twelve to 500 people at one time, many of which, Paul says, are still alive as he writes a letter. They could have said, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't true. But they didn't. They couldn't discredit the fact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. So let's take courage today from that first of all. We know that having been raised from the dead, Paul continues, He will never die again. More on that in just a minute. He will never die again for death no longer has dominion over him. Let's consider this phrase. First of all, death. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die at all? The the eternal second person of the Trinity faced death. And the question for all of us must be, why in the world would Jesus die at all? Well, hopefully you were here for Good Friday. Hopefully you were listening online in Good Friday. But let me just rehearse for you some of the reasons why Jesus had to die. First of all, he was obedient to the Father's will. You heard Brother Allen mention that today. Being obedient unto, Paul writes in Philippians 2, the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ was obedient in his suffering. Not only this, but Christ had to fulfill the types, the foreshadowing types of his life, death, and resurrection. This is foreshadowed in the Old Testament that one would die, one would be sacrificed and die for sin, to atone. So Christ died for our sin. At the very basic gospel message, the the very foundational truth of the reason why Jesus faced death at all, it was to atone for our sin. Let's reckon this Easter Sunday with the whole gospel Let's remember that the good news begins with understanding the bad news, and that is that we are all sinners, and we are worthy of death. So death is what Christ faced on our behalf. As John the Baptist put it, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Paul continues, and he says, Death no longer has dominion over him. Let's consider this question of no longer. What did the resurrection prove about Christ's death, about Christ's life? Well, for that, I invite you to turn with me in Romans, just back a couple of pages to Romans chapter 1. 
Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul is writing, he says, he's a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God, the good news about God, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. Pause with me and think for a moment of what I just mentioned a second ago, that this Old Testament foreshadows and tells of the coming of the Son. Paul says the gospel was promised beforehand in the prophets and the Holy Scriptures about his Son. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures, you search Moses, but Moses wrote of me. So the gospel is the good news of Jesus, which was promised beforehand in the Old Testament about his son, who was, Paul continues, descended from David according to the flesh. This means that Christ was truly human. Not only so, but it would have implied and meant more than that. It would have meant that he was the son of David. He was the Messiah to come. He was in the lineage of the king. And so Paul says this is the good news about this son promised beforehand who is descended from David. He's human according to the flesh and was, verse 4, declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by what? His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, at the resurrection, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness. We've been studying Mark's gospel. Let me just make one other quick tie. Mark begins his gospel by saying this is the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. And here we are, as Paul explains, that the resurrection, what we're celebrating today, declared that Jesus was not just the Son of God. He was the Son of God in power. Why? According to the Spirit of holiness. That could be Christ's holiness or the Holy Spirit. I would like to think it's both. I think Paul was purposely ambiguous. Christ's unassailable holy life vindicated him as he was raised from the dead by the Father. And so when Christ arose... It proved his vindication over the claims that death would lay hold on him. Death comes to us because of our sin, yet Christ was unassailably holy. He only bore our sins on our behalf. And so on account of the spirit of holiness, he rose from the dead. And so we can say death no longer has dominion over him. And then Paul explains why back in Romans chapter 6 verse 10. Death no longer has dominion over him for or because the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. So again, we say death no longer has dominion over him because the death he died, he died to sin and he did so, what does Paul say? Once for all. Consider with me this Easter Sunday. The once for allness. Is that a word? 
the, the once for allness of Christ's death. This is why we have a cross that does not have Jesus' body on it. In the Catholic tradition, during the Mass, they believe that Christ is being sacrificed. Again, during the Eucharist, the, that Jesus is dying or sacrificing blood again and again and again. I invite our Catholic friends to read Romans 6.10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Death no longer has dominion over him. Let's consider that last part of the phrase, death no longer has dominion over him, which led me to the question that I felt like maybe you would be asking, when or how or in what way did death have dominion over him to begin with? The eternal and perfect Son of God, death had dominion? Why? How? What? Well, for this we have to remember that Christ was fully God and fully man. But in his humanity, he had neither trace nor stain of sin. This is why it's important to hold to the doctrine he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Christ would not and should not have faced death in himself. He was perfect, pure, holy, and yet he did die. Death asserted dominion. Why? Because Christ, listen, willingly submitted himself to the rule of death in order to free all those who are under its authority. We need both Christ's perfection and his divinity. We need his humanity because if a human had not suffered the punishment for human sin and perfect atonement for us, we sinful humans would have no hope of resurrection or forgiveness of our sins. So Christ willingly submitted himself to the rule of death in order to free those who are under its authority. In my Bible, it's right next to this same page of Romans 6. If I look at Romans 5, chapter 12, I can read that, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who is that? Adam. And death through sin... So death came through sin of one man. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Two things you can count on. Death and taxes. Death comes to all of us. Why does everyone die? Everyone who has ever lived dies. It's because we're sinners. And Paul says that sin came through one man and death through sin and death spread to all men because all sin. So we all deserve death. We are under death's rule. We are under death's reign. We don't have time to look at it today, but Paul speaks of death as reigning like a king. And so Christ willingly submits himself to the reign of death on behalf of those 
who are under its authority so that we may have life. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians 15 and see how that's all explained in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Again, reading from verse 20. But in fact, there it is again. We know that Christ raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This, of course, was a euphemism Paul was using for those who had died. And it's why Christians have historically preferred to be buried. And in that burial, they picture the idea of one sleeping. This is not forever. Ain't no grave. I'm gonna hold my body down. I'm gonna rise up one day. And in faith, Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, again, who is that? Adam came death. By a man, who is that? That is Christ, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For explaining, because as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, lest we be confused and become universalists, we don't believe that all necessarily are in Christ. But the truth is, just like anyone or all that are in Adam will die, anyone and everyone, all who are in Christ, will live. They will be made alive. And Paul explains that further in verse 23. Each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, here's the key, those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ will be raised. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign. Sin no longer reigns. He must reign. Death no longer reigns. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do you hear the authority of the reigning Christ as he puts his enemies under his feet, subduing them until the time comes when he returns and the last enemy will be destroyed. Christ is taking charge. Christ is putting death to death for all who belong to him. So this Easter Sunday, by way of application, the question is, for each and every one here today, listening online, do you belong to Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Will you be raised with him? We all belong to Adam. Do you belong to Christ? You say, how can I know? I want to know that I belong to Jesus. I want to close with a passage from John chapter 10. And I invite you to turn with me to John 10, because I'll be reading extended portion from verse 1 and following. Oh, hello. 
want to fix the flowers. They're too pretty not to fix. Well, I said I'm going to fix them. Now I see why they have a little trouble. If they fall again, I'm leaving them. Okay, I'm leaving them. Prophetic. Justin, let's just put these by you. Just lay them down by you. Do you belong to Christ? How can you know? Jesus is speaking in John's gospel. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, do you belong to him? When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. That sounds a lot like the first fruits, leading the way through death to life. He goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If you want to belong to him, enter by him, enter through him. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. More on that next week. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let me remind you again that Jesus died for sinners like you and me. If you will enter by the shepherd, if you'll enter by the door of Jesus, you will be saved. You will belong to him. He says in verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. What does this mean? What is this 
fold, this other fold. He was speaking to Jews. And he says, I have other sheep that don't belong to just the Jews. That's why we're out here today, largely a Gentile audience. Praise God, Jesus had sheep from another fold. And praise God for one shepherd. And why Paul could write in Ephesians that that God has torn the the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, that we can worship and celebrate Christ together because he is the shepherd of the sheep of this fold and that fold, our fold, Gentiles. I will bring them too, he says. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me. Remember our message from Good Friday? Why have you forsaken me? There was no split in the Trinity. In the end of Psalm 22, there's the joy of the help of the Father coming and not despising, not disdaining the suffering of the afflicted one. The Father was pleased. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Here we come full circle to Christ's authority as we close in verse 18. Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Praise God, he says. And I have authority to take it up again. Christ has dominion over death. Death no longer has dominion over him. Christ is the one with all kingdom, dominion, authority. And so we can say with Paul, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down because he has dominion authority over death. Jesus lives and death is now but my entrance into glory. Courage then, my soul, for thou hast a crown of life before thee. He will raise me from the dust. Jesus is my hope and trust. He alone, my joy, my prize. Jesus lives, and so shall I. Jesus lives, and so shall I. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the authority of the Son, that death no longer has dominion over him. He died a death to sin on our behalf once for all, and he lives unto you, living, reigning, ruling, and putting his enemies under his feet until he returns, and the last enemy will be destroyed, and we will be raised imperishable, incorruptible, immortal. Father, thank you for the words of this poem that remind us that Jesus lives and so will we if 
we belong to him. So Father, I pray by your spirit you would move now, convict sinners, call them to repentance from sin, to place their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, the door, the shepherd, the one who laid down his life for the sheep. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a beautiful day, a beautiful opportunity to celebrate and worship because Jesus rose. And we pray in his name.